Hello and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Kevin McCoy, a pioneering digital artist and associate professor in the Department of Art and Art Professions at New York University. We will discuss his work in digital and cryptographic work in collaboration with Jennifer McCoy. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on um, because you are arguably the father of NFTs, which everyone is talking about right now. Um, but before we get to that, <laughs> I wonder if you could tell people a little bit about yourself and about your kind of background and, and kind of career as an artist so that they can kind of situate what you were doing uh, in the past before the moment that the kind of the story begins, as it were. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm a, you know I'm, I'm an artist and a, you know longtime digital artist, art and technology uh, kind of person. And I did my graduate work at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic, you know, which is a big you know oldest engineering college in the in the U.S. Um, and so have always had this kind of um, uh, kind of hybridity, I guess, uh, to my practice. I came from a philosophy background, um, you know, beforehand. Um, and, you know, the work that I've done has always been in some ways about uh, these kind of intersections of social and technological systems and how they kind of fit or don't fit and, um, you know, kind of how they you know, define the realities of the world that we live in. I'm really interested that, um, in that as an artist. And so I've worked a lot with software systems, worked a lot with Internet-based um, projects, um, you know, video, uh, things like that, and both in the, in, you know, in the art, primarily in the art world, you know, so by that, I mean, museums and galleries um, and things like that. Uh, and so that, you know, at, at times was a pretty lonely road, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, the art world didn't really have a lot of space for uh, these kind of disembodied artworks. Uh, you know, and, and and art market to participate at a market level, um, you know, it's it's an object based trade, you know, and so um, you know, working without objects is 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 pretty um, is pretty challenging. Can be pretty challenging. And so um, for you know, for me, my friends, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of ways to to you know to kind of do this 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 participation. People were doing internet projects, and this is also like I'm thinking like in the you know you know post 2008, you know, 2010 kind of thing, the early days of social media, um, you know, Tumblr, things like that, early Instagram. Uh, and there really was a, uh, a kind of pressure to, or just a practice around um, uh, kind of just giving the work away, kind of putting it out there, giving it away. Um, but in the early generation of, of um, net art, internet art, and things like that, things in the 90s, um, there really was an emphasis on artists building their own systems and and, and kind of system building and, and, and not you know, engaging with platforms. Uh, and so there was a kind of um, much more sort of fierce autonomy, uh, you know, going on. And, then, and that, that kind of changed. There was sort of a, you know, kind of net art 1.0, net art 2.0, uh, you know, kind of dichotomy, you know, of, of people sort of migrating onto these platforms and stuff. So, um, you know, so, so that's kind of the, the, the immediate, um, you know, kind of background for it. You know, and in terms of the, you know, at a work level, you know, my, you know, my work has dealt, dealt a lot with, um, uh, you know, just kind of modularity around video, think, or, you know, media, thinking of media as these little kind of units, as these little chunks that have, have kind of a definition that could kind of fit together in different ways. 
you know, kind of like, uh, you know, the relationship of media to metadata, you know, and, you know, that comes out of kind of an interest in semiotics and things like that. So it's kind of all, all, all sort of in the, in the background of what was going on. Um, and then, you know, the, the, and, and, and it, it went, it's gone well, you know, I mean, I didn't think that I would have much of a career in the art world, you know, I thought I would just be kind of like a, you know, experimental filmmaker toiling away in obscurity. And, um, and, 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 and it's, you know, kind of had more of a, much more of a presence than I thought kind of going into it, you know, so, so I think that that's kind of, um, that's kind of nice. Um, and then, so, so for me, you know, in terms of the story, you know, as it, as it intersects with blockchain technology, um, really starts starts briefly in 2010 when I first learned about Bitcoin on the Slashdot um, forums, you know, which is a kind of tech culture, um, you know, blog from back, you know, it was really pretty popular from back in the day. Um, didn't really think much of, much of it, but then in 2012, uh, kind of fell into it again um, at the end of 2012 and in, into 2013. And that time around, um, just for a confluence of, of reasons, uh, I really took an interest in what I was seeing in the in the Bitcoin world, and so you know, you know, Bitcoin's the first cryptocurrency. It's you know, famously kind of debuts uh, through the white this white paper, you know, by the anonymous developer Satoshi Nakamoto. <clears throat> Satoshi has the white paper Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic payment system, um, and so it, and it has these hallmarks. You know, it has these 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 features of of permissionlessness, decentralization, and this notion of value that can be defined and persist uh, within a network environment that's pretty um, pretty unique. And so at that time back then, this is like now going on almost 10 years ago, um, the, the nexus of those discussions was a forum, um, online forum called Bitcoin Talk. And that was really just an interesting, interesting world. Um, you know, was, the scene was just tiny compared to now. I mean, just microscopic, but still vast. You know the nature of the conversations, the things people were were, were talking about, um, because the the system that as Satoshi defined it intersects, you know, with with so many things around, you know, not just technology and cryptography, um, but also assumptions around society and kind of social functions, uh, assumption, you know, kind of game theory assumptions, um, and certainly economic models, all kind of brought brought together. And so it was really interesting for me to kind of see the. Um, all the touchstones, all the places that it kind of touched into, and and at that time people were you know exploring all those ideas conceptually on the forum and in these kind of weird little tiny little toy projects and stuff that were kind of reinventing a you know, little micro universe that was really tangible at the time, really and really kind of cool, really kind of exciting. Um, and so for me, the the you know there was this um, kind of magic. Um, alchemy that Satoshi created, where all elements of the Bitcoin system, the source code, <clears throat> the database itself, all of that was public. Everything was public. You could, you know, grab it, look at it, download it, whatever. Totally public. Yet somehow there was things inside of it that were private, that were scarce. So this kind of impossible um, union of ubiquity and scarcity um, at the heart of the system was really pretty amazing. And so for me in, in, in 2013, um, you know, kind of coming from a digital art background, that to me seemed like there was something there that could be of use to digital artists. You know, ubiquity and scarcity, if you could bring those together um, for digital art, then you might have a pretty interesting tool, a pretty interesting thing, thing to do. And I spent most of thir- 2013 trying to figure out how that could work. What would that be? How could that work? And that's the backstory. Yeah. So when you first started getting interested in in Bitcoin and the blockchain, like from the perspective of an artist, like what 
what about it caught your attention specifically initially? And when you started thinking about it as something that might be significant with respect to art and specifically with respect to digital art, as you'd experienced it in the past, like sort of what, what was intriguing to you? Like, what were you looking for? What did you start to see in, uh, in Bitcoin and the blockchain in terms of possibilities? Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 a lot of the times, you know, the interests that I have aren't necessarily thought of first and foremost around artworks. It's just, you know, I don't know, personal research, you know, you're kind of like, get into these things, pay attention to things, kind of look around, you know, and I think that it really at the most top level way, that's the role of the artist is to kind of survey the landscape to look at the landscape closely, and, and make a report about it, you know, and so in the 17th century landscape painting, literal landscape painting that had a very kind of, you know, very specific kind of thing that's easy to kind of reduce down to art history tropes. But but really, that role of the artist as a deep looker on the, you know, out on the landscape is, is is a task that I think is really serious and really important. And one that artists have kind of given up by and large and kind of put themselves in a weird little box. So, so for me, this kind of engaging with the tools of our time uh, and engaging with the landscape uh, as I saw it, in this case, a digital and network landscape uh, was really important, really interesting. And so, um, and, and then the world that it ushered me into this world specifically of um, economic theory and kind of political economics, um, you know, on the one hand, on, on kind of the social side and the, the, the kind of history of, uh, cryptographic messaging uh, on, on the technical side was 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 new. You know, I knew of it, I knew things about it. You know, but but it was not never really had had an opportunity to explore it. And so it was a way in which I felt that I was able to trace through things that I had never done, and you know, and, and get a new understanding to things. You know, kind of how the world economic system works or assumptions around how the world economic system works. What is, you know, kind of what is value, kind of hard money versus soft money and, you know, things like that. And those are just became interesting to me at a, at a personal level. And so, um, you know, in exploring this nascent community, it was just really, was just really personally interesting. And then, so the emergence of this question of digital art and, and a, uh, a kind of mechanism for, um, being able to record and trade or sell, make unique digital art as a kind of specific tool came later. You know, it was, you know, and, and that had a kind of applied applied sense, you know, that, that, you know, that came later. And that soon became kind of the focus of my, you know, of, of my research. It became a framework in which to kind of explore these ideas more specifically. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the context of the conference in 2014, where you initially created a unique token on the blockchain. So to talk a little bit about more about like sort of where you were as an artist kind of thinking about the medium at that point in time, sort of what the theme of that conference was and how your project fit into it, sort of how what you were doing at that moment was different from what other people were doing or, or what other people were thinking about the blockchain. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I started going public on the in Bitcoin Talk forum around, you know, looking for collaborators, looking for help, you know, kind of pointing out, you know, just just framing this this issue around ownership of digital art. Um, you know, it didn't get a lot of takers there. That was not something that really interested uh, people in that community at that time. 
Um, and then, uh, and then in the you know in November of, the, of 2013, I was you know reaching out to other people in my network, um, and I heard that the you know I got word that the new museum was starting you know was looking into start this incubator program. It's a place called New Inc. You know, and the museum is an incubator. You know, this is you know there was a real kind of um, startup utopia time. You know, in the early teens. Uh, you know, and uh, and 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 the museum, you know, new museum wanting to get into that seemed kind of you know kind of cool. Let's check it out. So I reached out to people I knew at Rhizome, uh, the digital art organization, um, and laid out my you know kind of sketched out my research. You know, it's like, hey, I'm working on this system. Uh, that uses Bitcoin or something like Bitcoin to make digital artworks um, ownable. They're still everywhere, yet yet get kind of owned. You know, um, can you you know hook me up with the people talking about this incubator? You're like, whatever. I'm trying to find resources, um, and so that you know was with the director, the, the, the then director of Rhizome, Lauren Cornell, um, and uh, and and uh, Michael Connor, and so they you know so they did that and that kind of started this kind of slow conversation with the, with the new museum around their incubator but then also they said oh well you know we organize this seven on seven event every year um in may um and we'll keep that in mind you know maybe there's a way in which your ideas can kind of can you know can kind of step in there and then so in february of 2014 michael said yeah we're doing this definitely how it works we're going to pair you up with somebody you know you won't know who it's a kind of technologist artist and technologist for this kind of 24-hour kind of session um and uh and, and i said great and he said and we can't tell you who it is it's supposed to be a surprise uh and i'm like great you know so um when i knew that was coming then i had to get serious about you know how that you know it was, it was like okay this is this is it. This is a forum to really make this happen, um, and so um, you know I had to really kind of get serious uh, about it. And there was there was a number of other there was two other key predecessor projects that were really interesting to me and really uh, kind of remarkable. And one was this program, this project. This is totally lost to the annals of blockchain. It's like there's this project called Dime D Y M, uh, and it existed on the early Ripple network so it was a ripple token and it was this guy in florida who said if you mail me a silver dime i will issue you a dime token <laughs> and if you have a dime token you can send it to me and i will mail you back a silver dime i'm the you know the the, the matchmaker for virtualizing silver dimes and uh, and i just thought that is really awesome that is so cool i had a couple silver dimes and mailed them down there i got this token you could then like trade it and it was just really interesting and to see how dumbly practical it was, you know, just this kind of hilarious social experiment, you know, was really interesting to me, really fun uh, and really cool. And so, so, so that was a really, that, that, that kind of brought everything down to earth in a way, his, his project in 2013. Um, and then in 2014, uh, there was a project using the Namecoin blockchain, uh, this project from these two researchers, computer science researchers out of Princeton uh, called OneName. And um, they were trying to do this identity-based system on Namecoin, um, and Namecoin was the first uh, fork of block of Bitcoin, the first time that Bitcoin was used to try to for another purpose besides um, besides payments. And they were doing this kind of uh, name name registration kind of thing, um, and uh, and and seeing how they handled their seeing what they did with Namecoin specifically. Um, you know, and that was kind of my first sense of like, oh, what a protocol is. It's like, oh, you define a protocol and it's these things. And, and then it's like, oh, you can put stuff on chain this way. And so that was really, really influential. And so um, when I saw what Namecoin did, it's like, OK, I've got to I've got to, you know, I know I know how to do this now. You know, and so when I showed up at the um, 707 event in, in, in May, um, I said, you know, we met Anil. He's just a, gr a great guy. I said to him, we're going to make a system for making digital art ownable. 
and uh, and and here's how it's going to work. And so I sat down and used the Namecoin wallet and went through a series of steps, constructed a, a, essentially a metadata record that comprised a number of different elements, a URL. Uh, I made a tweet that announced my kind of publication of this of this item. Uh, I had a, a SHA-256 hash to kind of verify the item, and I included some brief contractual language around ownership. And I bundled all those things together in a series of transactions um, on Namecoin, and I showed this to him. So this is it. So that transaction's quantum. So that's the that's and, and that is the first that is the first NFT. Um, at the time, there was other people thinking about kind of artist coins and different stuff. You know, you know kind of related. There certainly was things in the air, but nobody had ever done nobody had ever done done that. And so it's definitely the first you know artwork kind of crypto art token. But more importantly, it's really the first time that somebody made an on chain reference to something that was not on chain. Um, you know, so in this case, it's still digital, but it's an off-chain reference, you know, specified on-chain in an ownership capacity, and that had never been done before, and and that's a and that's a big deal. That's a big thing. So then at seven on seven, you know, we showed him that I showed him those things, and he you know looked at the steps that I did, and he broke down, you know, he, you know, he worked with me to kind of break down those steps into a software process. It's like, oh, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. We can make a web application that kind of you know does these things for people, walks people through it, um, and we were able to put together a simple what you would call now a minting a minting application. Um, it didn't get all the way there, um, but it got it got most of the way there. Um, and then of course we spent a long time designing the the deck, the story, and and Anil is you know just a gifted communicator um, and storyteller, uh, and so he really led that process and really told that story of what you know of, of of what this was you know came you know we came up with the name monetized graphics or monograph, um, and uh, and that and that was it, and so it was largely not understood. <laughs> People were like, "What do you? Well, it's just there. How can you? It's like." you it's like how can you own it if it's everywhere you know whatever and you know people were just kind of baffled by that um but a few people got it um and that was the start of the um start of a long run well so i wonder if you could talk a little bit about then the the actual kind of reception at the conference and kind of after immediately after the conference like what was the sort of aftershock if any from what you've done um and then as i understand it there was a pretty long period in which like if people weren't talking about it and then it came back again. So like, you know, what's the sort of trajectory there? Yeah. So immediately after, um, so again, most people didn't understand it. You know, a couple people did. There was, um, you know, just, there was a lot of crypto hype in 2014 and, you know, a lot, you know, kind of scam accusations and whatever, you know, there was just a lot of, you know, it's a really kind of challenging environment in which to propose, you know, these kind of new alternatives. And at the time, you know, um, uh, Creative Commons was at its height. And so the idea that you're going to kind of own d- digital art, that you're going to like kind of pull it back and kind of like make this sort of like specific ownership claim. And it's not about kind of information wants to be free and have it go everywhere was reactionary, you know? And so people were, were um, you know, didn't like that. Um, so, so there was, so it kind of flew in the face politically of, of, of people and it engaged with the technology that people were very suspicious of and largely didn't understand. Um, so, but but um, uh, Rhizome was invited to TechCrunch to make a kind of this kind of like see artists can be part of the equation thing at uh, TechCrunch Disrupt in New York the following week, uh, and and they invited us. So Neil and I did this like Blitzkrieg kind of ten minute version of our story to uh, TechCrunch, and they were just sort of like whatever 
you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody cared. <laughs> and then amazingly, this is, it's totally amazing. Anil had this uh, consultancy business at the time and uh, amongst his other projects. And he was, he had um, Christie's as a client. And so he's like, oh, we're going to go do a pitch to you or do a kind of a, you know, whatever presentation to Christie's about this stuff. You should come and we'll talk about monograph. And so within a week, 10 days of the original presentation, I was literally in front of the CEO, the board members of Christie's saying, hey, here's a system for digital art that you can make it uniquely ownable and you can maybe bring this into your business. And they were just like, oh, yeah, that's great. Okay, bye. <laughs> but seriously, in 2014, I brought this idea to their doorstep. And um, <clears throat> to no avail. Um, and so, you know, then, you know, going back to this new ink story, the incubator at the new museum, I started there uh, and I, you know, decided to try to take this in something of a startup direction, um, trying to do that, um, found a, 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 a Neil wasn't going to, you know, wasn't going to be involved. He had too many other things to do, uh, except as kind of a friend and, and, and an advisor, um, you know, found another um, kind of technical team to kind of help it, you know, because we really needed to build a whole, a whole thing to make it feasible uh, and then raise some money and then um, you know had you know kind of had, had a kind of business partner and then in you know across 2015 2016 built out a whole a whole system uh, of letting people register um, media we moved our technology to Bitcoin um, you know uh, uh, an expanded kind of contract model uh, and mobile apps um, smart TV display apps for your collection a whole thing buying and selling whole thing. It was pretty amazing. So it was the you know it's the first NFT marketplace. Um, you know, completely permission. You know, you just come and you know you, everybody could come and do it however you want to do it. Um, you know, and and they're just it was just really slow going. You know, it'd be like oh somebody signed up. Oh look somebody uploaded something. And then once in a blue moon somebody bought something for twenty bucks. You know, we had like I don't know fifteen transactions total. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just no buyers, nothing. Um, and then, uh, you know, and it kind of ran its course, um, you know, it, it, you know, by the end of, you know, by 2016 into 20, you know, uh, you know, it seemed like, you know, my, the people that had put in money were like, this doesn't seem like it's working and maybe we should try something else. And, you know, and my, you know, kind of, you know, tech partner had this other idea, it's kind of spun into this other idea and, but it just kind of like blobbed out, you know, kind of fizzled out. Um, but the, you know, it never went away. It just kind of like became frozen in amber and everybody, everybody went away except me and I kind of, kind of just held on to it. Um, and then, you know, in 2017 and in 2017, the Ethereum community separately from, from my efforts completely, um, you know, came to the same conclusions, you know, came up with similar, similar kinds of notions, um, and, and developed it, you know, in the Ethereum ecosystem is about, um, interoperability. Uh, and and a kind of like you know leveraging a whole like kind of stack that they're building um, and and taking advantage of that uh, and those things served the idea very well and so you know CryptoKitties was the first big breakout project that's where the ERC seven twenty one contract standard comes from and then projects before that you know most famously obviously CryptoPunks um, and some other stuff so there was um, so there was some things and then there was another kind of um, even earlier phase of the idea called Rare Pepe's using a blockchain called Counterparty so there were these other kinds of things that, that that happened after this kind of inaugural class of 2014 that I, you know, that I that I created and, and, and built a tool for. Um, and so then, in, you know, after kind of CryptoKitties into 2018, other platforms were built around Ethereum. Um, and those just kind of chugged along kind of quietly for a number of years. Um, and then into fall of 2020, they started taking, you know, they started picking up, you know, and there's reasons for that. Um, you know, but started picking up. And right around that time, people started reaching out to me again. You know, it's like, 
oh, you were doing this back then. And, you know, asking me for advice, asking me for help, you know, different kinds of things. Um, and so my original business partner and I got back together and said, oh, there's, maybe there's, you know, something, something to be done again. Um, maybe there's, you know, some things that we can do. And so in, you know, the beginning part of this year, uh, we got some resources together and started building some tools um, for artists to kind of help artists using uh, Ethereum. Um, and, and, and that started a whole process, you know, that kind of rebooted uh, Monograph um, in, a new, in a new direction, which is where we are today. Right. Well, maybe we can talk about the, the new direction in just a moment. I wonder if you can talk about the initial work that you put on the Bitcoin blockchain, sort of what the work was, how it kind of persisted over time, and then sort of what its later re reception has been like. Oh, with, uh, with, with, the, with the first work, the, the, the original work? So it's on Namecoin, um, not, not Bitcoin. Um, yeah, and so, so the artwork is called Quantum, and um, it's this kind of very, it's a 300 by 300 pixel animated GIF. Um, I made it using, um, it's an output kind of screen recording or kind of a flipbook kind of recording of, um, of an animation that I made using a kind of artist coding language called Processing, which is really popular, really important, really interesting um, uh, coding environment for artists, um, uh, you know, and I use that, you know, I've used that, taught, I've taught that, I've used that, you know, it's a, it's a great thing. Um, and so, you know, so I had this animation that I made and, and, and that was the first one that got put on chain. And it's pretty interesting to me, you know, of that, that that's the first one. And I wish that I could say I had some kind of grand design, um, but it was kind of accidental. I mean, it was kind of, um, it just kind of happened. I mean, I think that, you know, there can be these um, coincidences and, you know, things can kind of, you know, you know, kind of, even that might seem accidental, it's still intentional or something, you know, but that work in particular is a pretty amazing work to be the first NFT, to be the first work put on chain. Cause it's really beautiful, really mysterious. Uh, you know, it could easily have been not, not for me, but you could imagine somebody else doing it and they'd put a Bitcoin logo on there and that's the first work on chain, you know, and that would have been <laughs> appropriate, but kind of lame. But so, 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 so mine, uh, mine, mine is, um, you know, it looks good. It's a good looking piece. Um, and so, um, yeah, so the work, so there's, there's, there's peculiarities around Namecoin, the Namecoin network, um, and how it works. And so, um, that, that, that kind of led to, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, a, a specific kind of series, series of events. Um, and so in Namecoin, there's a kind of, you know, you're, 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 you know, it's a system of, 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 of creating a name that's just a kind of string and a set of values. It's at a value that defines that name. Name value, name value pairs. That's it. Boom. There's always a name and the name always has a value and the name only means whatever the value says. Name value. That's it. Um, and so when you create a name in Namecoin, um, it's, it's a name new operation. It doesn't. It only looks back a couple. It only looks back about 200 days. And if it doesn't see any kind of activity or it doesn't see any evidence of a name, it gives you a name. Um, and it says name new, and it gives it an initial value of a random number. There, there's your name. And then you can update the meaning of that name um, over time. And so my update. So my name existed. I wasn't so interested in the name. The name was a kind of necessary but not sufficient. Um, component of the quantum NFT, you know, if we kind of frame it that way. So, so the name that later became associated with quantum existed first, and its meaning was just this random number. There it is. And then I updated that name 
And so I updated that name to now to attach this metadata. And this is the metadata record that had the URL, the tweet, um, the contractual language, the hash, all that kind of there. And so now that name equaled that thing. Um, and so I made that for quantum. Um, we, I made two more in the context of the presentation. Um, quantum is different from the other two. Uh, and you can really see the influence of Anil on the other two because he, you know, introduced me to a kind of structured data format, you know, JSON, you know, and says, oh, we, we could use a data structure here to kind of, you know, make these more machine readable. And so, so the metadata in quantum is prose. You know, it's me kind of writing it out, you know, to kind of show him. Um, and then the other two ones, there's a car animation, uh, which is a loop that um, Jen and I made, uh, had, had made a couple of years earlier. Um, and then there's a third one um, that's based on an artwork from um, a net art piece that Jen and I made in conjunction with uh, the artist Torsten Burns um, in the 90s. And so, um, so and, and, and we picked that as the third one. And that's the one that we did on stage. I did on stage, minted that on stage, specifically as a way to bridge these two worlds, to say, here's all this kind of innovation in net art in the 90s. We're bringing it forward into this kind of new idea. You know, that, that was kind of the, the, the logic with that. Both of those registrations were, were, were had this kind of data structure to them on, on, on chain. Um, and so, um, uh, so, so, so you, you have these name and value pairs and the value updates to redefine the name. You can sell them, you can trade them. And we showed on, on stage how that works um, practically. And you can kind of see that, um, you know, in terms of keeping that metadata exactly intact as it goes from address to address. So, so the quantum NFT at its most technical level, because Namecoin is based on Bitcoin, um, it, it works very differently than Ethereum does, you know, which is a kind of a, an account-based process, whereas Bitcoin and Namecoin are transaction-based processes. So in, 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 um, in Bitcoin, as in Namecoin, you grab up the, the whatever is at a certain address and you fold it into a transaction and you send it to a new, um, a new location. And that transaction gets entered into the blockchain um, and stored at a new address as an what's called an unspent transaction output. So, um, uh, so in the context of the presentation, I called that a blockchain entry because I was trying to explain this to people and unspent transaction output sounds a bit of a mouthful. Um, so I called it blockchain entry, but it's the result of this transaction that created um, quantum. Um, and so that sits on the blockchain. Um, and, it, and it's still there to this day. It's on an address. I have the private key to that address, you know, and I can you know, sign a message that shows that I own that key. Um, but with Namecoin, um, you have to, you know, um, update it. You have to keep updating it because Namecoin only looks back 200 days. And if it doesn't see any activity, um, it, it recycles, you know, it says, okay, you can use it again. Um, and so you can use a name again. You can use a namespace. Of course, nothing is inherited from the old namespace because the value field is filled in with a random number. It's name new name, value, random number, and, 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 and that can kind of continue. Um, and so I knew about that back in 2014 and, you know, figured that we would be, you know, by that time I was already exploring other blockchains, counterparty uh, and, and things like that. So I just kind of let those, let those sit there. And so eventually my, my unspent transaction output, the blockchain entry that I made became um, locked, became frozen. Um, and so it could no longer be transferred that could no longer be sold. Um, and so, um, you know, I still owned it. Uh, you know, I still had the private key to it, but I wasn't going to be able to forward it along, which is totally fine. I didn't want to forward it along. It's like, I got to get out of Namecoin. 
Um, and then so when the time came to, um, you know, all along, I thought that it would, you know, there's this idea of kind of rewrapping, kind of burning and rewrapping, um, you know, um, that's, you know, that's been a kind of practice all along in, 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 uh, in blockchain world. That was certainly the case in 2013, 2014, you know, for, for how counterparty released their tokens, you burn Bitcoin and they issue counterparty tokens, things like that. And so I knew about those things and I thought, okay, well, when this transaction um, expires, um, then it's kind of frozen in amber. And then I can, you know, at some point in time, I'll think about how to kind of re rewrap it and bring it forward. Uh, and so that's, but so that ended up taking a long time because I was doing other stuff. Um, but that's ultimately what happened in 2000, just you know, recently this summer, um, with when Sotheby's reached out to me. And so at that point, I used um, the Ethereum chain to kind of remaster it and kind of you know archive this work. Um, and that work at a contractual level pointed back to that unspent transaction output to kind of bring it forward um, uh, uh, as the reference, as a kind of derivative or kind of as the reference from that original work. Wow. So to, to go back a little bit. It's, it's, so, it's so easy. <laughs> I'm like, my head is spinning here. <laughs> I know. I know. It's totally insane. But, it's totally insane. So, just to take a step back a little bit, you, you, you said that you're, you, you're kind of continuing with the, with the, the monograph project in some form today. Kind of where, where are you at with that now? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's been really pretty interesting. So, um, Everybody gets the idea now. <laughs> it's pretty incredible, you know, just the butting my head against the wall in 2015, just trying to explain this to everybody, anybody, nobody getting it, nobody caring. You know, in uh, 20, you know, 2021, everybody, you know, knows it or thinks they knows it or has at least heard about it. Of course, now they use the term NFT. I didn't use that term back then. Um, all kinds of terms, minting, that, con- you know, that was not a term that we used. Um, you know, uh, I called it registering. Um, we called the whole thing monograph. Monograph was kind of the whole kind of term, the generic term for it. Um, you know, so so the kind of reversion of it, re, redo of it, you know, with you know, around NFT on Ethereum and, and, and according to the, the way that that system works. Um, uh, so we moved in that direction. So, you know, again, artists were kind of reaching out to us. Um, and so we started off making a minting contract. Um, and so we wanted to make it um, autonomous, you know, so artist controlled. So artists are kind of, you know, running that script themselves. They're kind of attaching that to their own wallets and not, not, are we, you know, we can kind of, we, we kind of create the template, but that's their, it's their contract. They've deployed it themselves. They control it. We don't. Um, and we wanted, you know, and that gives artists capabilities to name their contract uniquely, create a token, you know, that, that, that makes sense, you know, kind of at a language level and also kind of from a publishing perspective that really sources from them. Um, and that's all in keeping from my logic back in 2014. Um, and, uh, um, and so we made those first. And it also included um, rights language, you know, because in 2015, we fleshed out this whole on-chain rights system. Uh, and, and, you know, had kind of commercial use cases, but also fine art use cases, uh, licenses that drew from the Seth Siegelob contract um, with, you know, artist uh, resale royalties. Um, and so we, you know, um, and, and so, so the idea of kind of on-chain rights uh, was something that we had been, you know, thinking about all the time. And that was really not part of the current, much, you know, much part of the current NFT thinking. And so our minting contract gave, you know, put, put an opportunity for rights or rights expression um, in there. And so we made this um, initial minting tool and artists started using it. 
Um, and then and then it kind of expanded. You know, then then the auction houses reached out to us for shows that they were doing and did minting for Christie's and for Phillips and for Sotheby's. Um, and, uh, and 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 you know, just kind of working with different artist studios. Uh, and then we made a set of um, auction and sales contracts again that you can deploy yourself um, on your own website, so you're not beholden to these new third party marketplaces that are really kind of aggregating stuff together. You know, we wanted to empower artists and gallerists to do it themselves um, autonomously um, and, and and have had a lot of um, success with that, a lot of interest in that. It turns out a lot of people are interested in having those two, being able to do those two things, you know, mint on their own terms with their own rights, sell it, uh, put it up for sale um, on their own websites, um, you know, under their own control. Um, again, makes perfect sense to me as an artist. That kind of autonomy is sort of, you know, backbone for how artists think. Um, but it was just not where the current um, tool sets were coming from at all. Um, and so that's been really useful. And then so that's led to, you know, what we're in no, almost November now. Um, that all, you know, so that was like February till now. Um, and, and, and then now it's, you know, it's just kind of crazy. It's, you know, the people that are calling us, it's all just, it's all just people calling us. Um, you know, but that model of like, oh, I can mint it myself with rights and run it myself it appeals to a whole lot of people, <laughs> you know, and people for whom rights really matter, like music labels and film studios. <laughs> they uh, they're very interested in what we, um, you know, what, what we have to offer. And so we're now, now we're doing a lot of like like um, program designs, you know, helping people. You know, it's like I want to do an NFT, but I don't know what to do. What's the best way to kind of put it together? What are some possibility? You know, just whatever. So it's just kind of this leading into this kind of full service um, kind of operation. So in in light of kind of your very unusually long-term perspective on sort of how people have reacted to the proposals that you've made around ownership of digital art on the blockchain. And you mentioned sort of like objections or concerns that people had back in the day. And I feel like there are objections and concerns as well as enthusiasm that people have today. I I can't help but wonder, like, what's your sense of like the relationship between and amongst those? Like, are the kinds of concerns people seem to be expressing today similar or related to the ones in the past? Do they seem different and sort of what's the sort of like how if at all has the sort of perception of what this means and what it's for changed since you initially developed the idea yeah it's well i mean so so now there's the presence of money you know at at just an exponential level compared to before and so when when there was no money involved the concerns were were different you know and it was just sort of about this is dumb or this seems like a scam or this um you know it's just a jpeg or whatever so now those those same issues are there this is just a jpeg this is a scam this is dumb <laughs> except now there's millions and millions of dollars involved so people are just like so there's this kind of cognitive dissonance that people are kind of like are kind of struggling with um you know and the you know for me you know it's 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 you know, I think tokens are, I think they're incredibly powerful. And I think that, um, that, that, you know, we're, we're at the very beginning stages of it, you know, and I think that what happens, you know, tokens are how media becomes software. Um, And, and, you know, by software, I don't, I don't mean like a digital object operated on by software, like a, you know, JPEG in your, in your phone, you know, role. 
I mean, actual software functions, you know, that can do stuff, you know, and this is what on-chain um, smart contracts associated with media do. It turns media into software. Um, and that's really powerful. That's super powerful. And so, um, you know, the kind of hype and excitement around, um, you know, these kind of headline numbers around different stuff and these projects and you're just all this kind of weird culture to me is a little bit beside the point, you know, and I think that as we go forward, this, these other uses or other, you know, ways in which tokens are, 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 are going to manifest themselves are super important. You know, if you think about the kind of past 30 years, um, you know, maybe 40, whatever, this kind of process of digitization that we've gone through, you know, starting with business records and the messages and images and whatever, all this kind of stuff, you know, and over the course of our lifetimes, you know, um, getting more and more and more, you know, and now we, you know, and now it's, you know, it's, it's largely complete, you know, we're at the end, you know, we feel, you know, we're, we're so it'll continue to happen, but we're kind of at the end of this arc, this 30 year arc. The same arc, we're at the very beginning of that same arc of tokenization. And so there's going to be another 30-year arc, 40-year arc, whatever, of tokenization that's going to take all of that digitization stuff and throw it up in the air and reorganize it um, around tokens. And that's going to be really crazy. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see how things change and shake out new, you know, new winners, new losers, um, new, new systems. Um, but but the process of tokenization, we're, which we're just at the beginning of, is going to fundamentally transform. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything near your level of knowledge or sophistication here. But when I look at what people call the NFT market right now, it seems like it's really like a, a huge range of potentially very different markets or different uses. And we're just seeing a tiny sliver of the potentiality that that those tools have right now. Do, do you have a sense of like in the short term, any kind of expectations or things you're expecting to see happen like soon or like have you get a sense of like, so the specific like use cases or like problems people are trying to solve? Yeah. Well, once you, once you solve the problem of rights and rights on chain, that opens up a vast new set of material that can come into the token ecosystem. You know, and so that's a really important, um, really important thing. And, and, you know, obviously we're, you know, you know, at a, you know, at a key spot in that you know, with monograph. Um, so but but, in, you know, in, in general, it's it's, you know, it's a really important thing. Rights matter for a whole lot of people. Um, and, and so that's going to get, you know, worked out and, and expand. And then the other thing that's going to happen is tokens are going to direct, you know, I said, you know, it's, it's how token media becomes software. Tokens are going to directly drive software processes. And so, um, you know, that, you know, where the token connected to this execution environment is actually passing the meaningful parameters that, 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 are, that are being executed. And that sounds really kind of abstract and subtle, but it's really pretty powerful. It's really pretty incredible, you know, that, 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 you know, that bearer instrument, that digital bearer instrument that you have with the token is, you know, is, is, is setting the stage for how the software that you have executes. Um, and so I have, a, I have an art project that I made just recently called Quantum Leap that um, explores that. And so it's, um, it's, a, it's a kind of animation, generative animation in a web browser. Um, but there's different tokens that one could have. And when you connect that token, you, you're getting the version of that artwork that corresponds with the token that you have. So the same art, the same code environment 
um, you know, kind of art software environment produces these different outcomes based on the presence of, of different tokens. Um, and so, you know, there's not a lot of that going on. You know, it's, we're, we're, there's only a handful of, of, of projects that are really beginning to explore that token-driven software execution. Um, and the main thing that's holding that back is um, there's a very limited range of, of, of execution environments that we can connect tokens to. It's primarily a web browser, you know, MetaMask or whatever. You connect your tokens to a website um, via MetaMask. And so the, the web browser is the software execution environment. Well, web browsers are great, but they're pretty limited. So um, we've got a lot more powerful <laughs> software execution environments that we deal with every day. Uh, once those become wallet enabled, that's going to kind of change things a lot. Well, so... Kevin, in in closing, I wonder if there are kind of new projects, like whether art projects or implementation projects other than your own that you think are really interesting that that people should be paying attention to or thinking about. Um, well, yeah, going back to the rights thing, you know, once the rights issue are is solved, um, it really will open up things that people have been thinking about and you know wanting to do for forever, you know, around remixing or, or kind of sharing or collaborative building or whatever, you know, once that kind of rights trickle down is articulable on chain and, um, you know, that's going to unleash a lot of creative potentials. And so, you know, that we're, we're working with musicians to, um, you know, we just announced this project, this collaboration with Timbaland, you know, who's making, you know, who's releasing his new album as remixable stems first um so his new ep and so you know putting those out there as mixable items um that people can engage with you know is is, is, is you know it's pretty revolutionary you know and and it's a totally different way of for artists to think about their material think about interacting with their fans um and it's really only possible with tokens with rights enabled tokens um you know and so you know that that's a project that i'm really i'm really excited about so there's a bunch of things in the music space that i think are pretty are pretty cutting edge. I think that's where we're going to see the next um, wave of innovation in the ne- over the next year. I can't help but wonder. I mean, you said earlier that there was a lot, initially, a lot of pushback from a kind of open culture, creative commons kind of perspective. What you just said suggests to me that maybe we're seeing a bit of reconciliation between the two. I think that's true. Yeah, I think that that's true. You know, the world has changed a lot from, you know, seven, eight years ago. You know, it's like just the the power of, you know, the, of, of the devices, the power of the software, the power of the net capacities of the network, just people's more onlineness. you know, all of those things have increased a great deal. Um, and so, you know, that's changed people's thinking, you know, so I think that kind of changes on the ground, changes in the in the in, in, in you know kind of in the technosphere um you know are also you know driving these driving this awesome well kevin thank you so much for coming on the show today i really appreciate you making the time to talk to me about this uh, i learned a lot and you've really helped me understand the history of this space a lot better great well it's my pleasure i'm happy it's fun to talk about Partners, this is your old pal Hoppy, and I've got a story that I've been itching to tell you for a long, long time. It's the story of my good luck coin. And boy, it sure was good luck for me, because it saved my life. 
It happened quite a while ago when it was the wild, wild west. And a man had to be pretty quick on the draw with his six gun. Because in those days there was nothing but the open range full of cactus, sagebrush, and rattlesnakes. And if the Indians didn't get you, the outlaws and cattle rustlers might. A law-abiding citizen had to be mighty careful in those days. And I might add, a little lucky too, which is where that silver dollar I always carry with me comes in. Well, at the time this story begins, I was riding herd for the Bar Z Ranch in Texas. They had 3,000 head of the finest cattle I ever saw. And seeing as how they roamed far and wide over the open range, I want to tell you we sure had to do some tall hustling to keep up with them. But one day I found out that somebody else was doing some hustling too. I was out looking for some strays that had wandered away from the main herd when I turned up a draw and found a campfire that was still warm. And from the looks of the ground around it, somebody'd stayed a while and then left in an awful hurry. They hadn't left alone either, because leading out of the other side of the draw were the tracks of maybe a hundred head of cattle and the hoof prints of three or four horses all heading south for the border. Rustling. I was a good day's ride from the rest of the outfit, and I knew if I went back for help, those hombres would get away for good with my boss's cattle, and I didn't want that to happen, so I lit out after them. I didn't know what I was going to do when I caught up with them, but I was so rare and mad, I figured I'd lick them all single-handed. Well, I rode all that day and all that night. Long about dawn the next day, I caught up with them. And you know what I did? I was so all-fired hopping mad by this time that I rode right square into them, cattle and all. Yelling and shooting as I came. I dropped through those cattle thieves before they knew what hit them. And the stampeding cattle took care of the one in front of the herd. But the fourth one went for his gun, and the next thing I knew, I was sprawled on the ground. Well, I sure thought I was a goner. But when I came to, there wasn't anybody around but me and those three used-to-be cattle rustlers. I guess the other one lit out to the hills. He shot me all right before he left. But do you know where? Right smack in the middle of that silver dollar I was carrying in the left-hand pocket of my shirt. That bullet put an awful dent in it, but it saved my life. Yes, sir, partners, that was quite a while ago. But I've still got that old silver dollar. And whenever I look at it now, I always say to myself, Hoppy, you'd better keep on giving your good luck and your lucky coins to the millions of boys and girls who are your friends. Because their friendship is what makes you the luckiest cowboy I ever saw. <laughs> 